This is uh, Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are currently studying the book of Acts. And we finished chapter 2 last week. And in chapter 2, uh, Peter uh, has uh, left the upper room after the uh, Pentecost and he has stepped out and delivered a message quoting Psalms and Isaiah to the gathering crowds that have come into Jerusalem for the feast day and he is preaching and proclaiming Christ and this from the guy that a month ago was denying Christ and was uh, running off to fish and was uh, uh, we, we, we assume shame depending on how we interpret that. Uh, and so Luke, and, and, at, and at that point in chapter 2, we've got at least 120 believing Christians who have uh, seen this fire come upon them, and they are going out to preach. And so Luke cannot cover 120 different revivals going in different directions around Jerusalem. He gets selective and starts showing us particular stories. And I don't know that Luke was particularly here. Uh, we know that he became one of Paul's? Is it Paul or Peter? I'm going blank. Paul's disciples. And so it's possible that they, he picks him up, probable that they pick Peter up later than this. And so he is recording this secondhand after interviewing people that were there. So, Can you imagine what it would be like in a church service today if fire from heaven fell on the heads of believers and That'd be a good day. So we probably talk about it later. <laughs> might even not even write it down. Might make yeah. a newsletter. Might make a newsletter. Um, so uh, yeah, I think this was a big deal, and uh, so we assume that somebody told Luke this story, which means that somebody thought this story was important enough to tell Luke. So this is a significant moment, and Luke has thought so. Because this is, this is work writing this down, you know, and getting this all right. Why do you think Luke wasn't there? Because he was, I, I don't think he would even been converted at this point. Yeah. Paul picked him up in, yeah, but he in wrote, Greece. He wrote the book of Luke. Yes. So that meant he had to have been converted back when he wrote the book of Luke. And this is actually just a continuation of his book of Luke. But Luke yes. I wrote a book in family history, but I wasn't there when the pilgrims landed. Yeah, but I wasn't there when I was looking at the Gospels. The Gospels didn't get developed until centuries later. They didn't put it all in the Gospels. It was written down like later on because Luke wrote it from different stories later on. Like people recollected the stories and he wrote them later on. I, I, I just okay, okay. Thank you, Clayton, for clearing that up for us. I, I was not getting through. I need a paper on that. Oh, okay, good, good. That's always helpful. <laughs> good for you. All right, so uh, this next story is about Peter and John, which I think is an interesting pairing. We don't see those two together until we get to this point. Usually it's Peter and Andrew, or it's James and John, who were brothers, you know, in, in with the uh, disciples. And now we've got the uh, arguably the oldest and arguably the youngest of the apostles uh, you know, traveling together. So I think there's a relationship change has happened here at some point. And, you know, you can dig at whatever you want out of that. Maybe trying to learn from the older. 
that or they just uh, are compatible. And I think that makes sense. I think Peter is dynamic. Peter is uh, uh, egotistical, which I think you kind of need to be a little bit to be a good preacher. And uh, Jesus keeps pulling him back, you know, through the Gospels. And uh, I think Peter has kind of come through all of that. He needed to kind of uh, deny Christ and be shamed for it just to humble him a little bit so that he can let Christ do the work and that, or, or, or God do the work. And that comes through in this as well. And then we have John who is helpful and he is not condemning of Peter. And John is kind of connected, we assume. He knows people. And yeah, and I think, you know, opposites support each other. And, and I think everything that Peter isn't, John kind of is. And everything John isn't, Peter is. And so that kind of, that, that, that they work well together. And I think, you know, eventually, you know, natural pairings happen all on their own. Okay, and that I've overworked that one. Okay, so let, let me read 1 through 10, and let's try to unpack 1 through 10. At first, it doesn't look like a lot's here. When I first read this, I thought, how on earth am I going to get through 45 minutes on this one little chapter? There's nothing here at all. Do you ever have that feeling? Anyway, uh, and so, but I think there's, you know, the more you dig, the more, the more interesting it gets. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And all of that's important. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from, uh, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but I, what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Mm -hmm. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, so I don't know exactly when, what the time frame is here. It just starts off one day. We, can, we might want to assume that this is a direct following from the feast day that was happening uh, in the previous chapter, but I, I don't know that that's true. I think it could be something that happened after that. Uh, and I think it's probable that it happened after that. This isn't the same day as, as Peter was preaching in front of the upper room. Um, and so they're going to the temple, and it's uh, at 3 in the afternoon. The temple had three prayer meetings, if you want to call them that, a day. I want you to picture our church having three services a day, every day, every day. Why not? 
Clayton is just withering inside right now, thinking of having to deliver all of those services. That is so much work. Okay. Uh, but, but putting it within our context, huh? But, but that true, fair enough. Is it like the Catholic Church where they just repeat the same sermon? I don't know. Service? That's a fair question. Well, that's kind of the way that Lake Point Baptist is. I mean, they have three services, but it's the same message at each service. Um, you also have to remember this is Jerusalem, which is a, I don't know exactly the uh, population of Jerusalem at this time, but it's a, it's a sizable city. And there is one temple. And everyone is required to go to temple on Sabbath. So everybody in this entire city is going to the same building at one time or another during the Sabbath. They need three services. You can go the length of the city, basically. They, they allow you enough to get to church and back. That, that was in the deal. Half a mile. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we talked about how far that was. There's a word for it. The confusing part to me about that was, what about all the people in the outlying areas? Does that mean that they were never allowed to go to temple because of that rule? No, they go to synagogue, which is what synagogues are. It's a little community center that you can go to to fulfill that need. But if you're in Jerusalem, there are no synagogues in Jerusalem. You go to temple, that's what it's there for. So uh, it's not like you have this enormous Methodist church across the street where everybody else goes. No, everybody goes to the same place. And so uh, it's a big crowd. And this is just a regular old Sabbath. And, it, 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 and so they have these three services. There is one service at 9 o'clock in the morning. There is one service at noon. And there is one service at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The 3 o'clock in the afternoon one is preferred. One, because you can sleep in. Second, because that's when they do sacrifices. They don't do sacrifices on the two earlier services. So if you're offering sacrifice for your sins, that only happens at one time in the day. Uh, and, and so the services are a little bit different depending on when you go, and they probably address different needs at different times of the day too. And I don't know all the details of that, and I'm sure it was rather complex. So they have this big area, and, uh, and, you, and you walk in, you're not necessarily under any kind of cover. You're going into a courtyard, and once you walk through a wall, you're inside the temple. And the temple has a big surrounding wall. And the outside of the wall is called the Court of the Gentiles, because Gentiles ain't allowed inside. And so if you're married to a Jew, and you haven't gone through the baptism and all of the, the claiming Jewishness that you can do and been acclimated to it, then you don't get allowed inside the wall. You have to stay outside. However, uh, you might want to, you know, uh, Romans worshipped all the gods and didn't want any of the gods mad at them. You know, I, I would think that a good Roman, particularly if you're trying to do business with Jews, might show up in the court of the Gentiles and offer a little sacrifice and prayer in your own and move on. You know, uh, the, 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 it was not unheard of for Gentiles to worship at the temple, but they couldn't come inside the wall. And so you come in just inside the wall and you get into the court of the next lowest echelon on Hebrew society, which is, of course, women. So you have this female, uh, the, the women's court, where women were allowed to go, and they couldn't go any further than that. So they could come into the wall and see what's going on, but they're in the back. And then you walk past that court, and there was a line or a fence or something, and you, you walk to where the rest of the, the, the normal worshipers were, the, the 
good Jews. And then the priests were up in front, and there was a line that you didn't go past unless you were a priest. And then there was the Holy of Holies where only God was, and priests visited once a year. So there's a hierarchy to all of this. And that bell is tied to and a rope tied to Yep, yeah, yeah, another story. Now, this is a big courtyard because it's a lot of people. We're putting everybody in Jerusalem in and out in one day. So thousands of people, I think, is fair coming inside the courtyard, just the courtyard part. So it's not just one entrance. They have nine gates. Because there's so many people. And if you're coming in by that road, you can come in by the, 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 this gate and so forth. But Jewish culture has a hierarchy. And there are important people and there are less important people. And, and sinners and Gentiles. And we have all these classifications of you know, people in this strata of hierarchy. And you, know, and you wanna, you know, they're, they're social climbers. They wanna be on the top if you possibly can, be closest to God, because he's, he's at the top of the pile. And so uh, there, were, there were traditions, and it wasn't a written law, but there were traditions that people followed. And certain people entered by certain gates. And birds of a feather flock together in every other society I've ever been in. And you want to hang out with people that are like you. It's safer that way. So I promise all of the merchants hung out together because I've been a merchant. And I've noticed even now merchants hang out together. I want to pick all of their brains to figure out how they're making money and I'm not. And I'm going to rip off any idea I hear. And if I find out that there are thieves working in the neighborhood, I want to know what they look like. You know, and so, uh, yeah, it's important that you talk to the people that are in your business, uh, you know, and, and it'll give you a heads up. So they're all hanging out together. There is a gate. Actually, I don't know this for sure, but I highly suspect that that back gate is where there was a priest that had all of the cloaks for the beggars because you had to wear a specific cloak in order to be an official beggar with the, with the uh, blessing of the church. And if you weren't wearing a beggar's cloak, then a good Jew would not give you anything because you had to be a, a good beggar. Because if you were a bad beggar, then they didn't get the credit for their alms. Yes? Well, I, I don't know what the, what the standards are for being a licensed beggar, but there were standards, you know. So if you were permanently handicapped and there was no way that you could earn a living, then you were an appropriate beggar because you had to support yourself somehow. But if you were just lazy and, and you know, and, and somebody had given you a job and you just wouldn't want to hang around, maybe they didn't want to give you an official beggar thing. You need to go earn your living. Does that make sense? Well, so that, that, that there was a licensing process, whatever those standards were. I don't know what the standards were. You know, probably. Any, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true, but probably. Any I'm offended, did you think money had a big thing to do with church? Ha, 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 ha. It's kind of like the uh, the priest had to, you know, say you're a leper and you got to go outside and live. 
the leper had, I think the priests, if I understood the scriptures right, they had to examine these people to determine if they were actually needed to be put outside the camp yeah. or if they could be beggars. And, or and, leper, and, and, and licensed right. beggars could be in town. Lepers could not. So no. lepers didn't get licensing. So they didn't get cloaks. <laughs> So uh, you, they were too nasty for beggars. So they're, they're, they're even lower down in the, the total pole. Okay, so this guy, uh, th we have a beggar who has, I'm assuming he has his cloak because he's sitting based on where he's sitting. And uh, the nice gate to, of the nine, and I'm assuming it's in the middle and in the front because that's how I would build it if I were building this temple, uh, is covered with brass. And it has a brass facade, and it is shiny, unlike the rest of the gates, which have different stone-like structures. Each of, the, each of the gates have a different look to them. Well, the beautiful gate is the really pretty one in front, where the important rich people come into the temple. This is the nice street. This is Maine. You know, this is where this is where the people that live in nice houses come into the temple, and when they come into the temple, it's a big part of your of, of the Hebrew worship is to give your tithe, and so you want to publicly be seen dropping your tithe into this big vase that's that's designed so that it goes clankety clank on the way down to the bottom. Sir, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. You you put it in so that they hear the change and. and and, and you no know, no, not, not paper money. And honestly, if, you, if you've lived there for a little while, you can probably tell exactly how much they threw into that thing based upon the tone of the clink. You know, I, I knew a guy once that you could drop a nickel, a quarter, and a dime, and he could tell you what it was that just hit the floor. I don't know why that's so funny. What? Oh, well, you know, and so when you paid your tithes, you need to be seen paying your tithes because that shows that you're religious. And then you need to give alms, which is to give to charity. And that's part of the Hebrew tradition. And, and so you give your tithe, and then you take a, a little bit of something, something, and you give to somebody there as you walk into the gate. Well, if you're a good beggar... Do you want to sit by the poor gate? No. No. That's probably a little bit better. Well, what I don't understand is why Peter, Peter and John were going through that beautiful gate. Interesting they're, question. Because they're not rich. There's not a rule against who goes into what gate. It's, it doesn't, it's not like it's against the law. It's just kind of tradition, and that's who tends to go there. And I imagine the carpenter's gate is the carpenter's gate because it's closest to the street where all the carpenters live. That's just, you know, it's just the easiest one. And, and if all the carpenters are coming through there and you're not a carpenter, you don't want to be hanging out with the carpenters because people will think you're a carpenter. Oh, my goodness, they're poor. Well, I think so. What? Yeah, yeah, we're getting to that. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah, so, okay, so, so this cripple, this this man who's been crippled from birth, has been brought to the gate, beautiful, and he sits under the portico. There are so many beggars that that are outside the gates, because because where do you want to beg? The, the, in front of the temple, where people can be seen giving you alms, you're going to get more money because they get 
you know, so they get, they, they get recognition for it. And you want to sit in front of the rich gate because that's where the cash is. They're not stupid. So there's so many beggars there that they've literally built a covering to keep them out of the sun. And also so that you can draw a line in the pavement and say, keep your feet back, back, past back that boy because we don't want you to you know, get in the way of these poor people walking past. That way we can kind of control that. They're there to give the alms to, but they don't get in the way. So it's literally been institutionalized. We've got people sitting in under the shade over to the left of the beauty gate and uh, rich people are walking by and they're, they're wearing their licensed cloaks showing that they are appropriate beggars and they are someone good that you can give your alms to when you walk into church. That's where he is. And he's showing up on the third uh, service of the day just after sacrifice. I would guess that he was there for the first two as well, but he's got family that comes and picks him up and he goes to lunch and then he comes back before the third one and probably all the rich people come in for the sacrifice service and that might be, you know, I, one of these services is more productive than the other and I'm guessing it's the evening one. Yes? Oh, that's fair. Uh, it, it was literally his profession. You know. Well, I guess not, since he's just sitting there with his hand open, so he doesn't actually do anything. So, they, okay. They, their thing was about physical, which is a it's it's a it's a symbolism of Hinduism. Yeah. It was it was about physical movement. It, 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 they had gone away from the initial purpose of what God did for the Sabbath, rest, mm -hmm. and they made it into something physical. Well, you can't move. And well, if you're sitting there and just talking, that's one thing. You can sit and talk. You just couldn't move, but he's crippled. Right. So that's what it is a form of it's a symbolism for legalism, actually, when you think about it. I'm sure he just sat there just solemn you know. I think he was doing some talking. Wouldn't you? I would. I would. Nice road, dude. I'd, I'd, I'd work this crowd. Uh, when he saw Peter and John enter, he asked them for money. So he asked, he spoke to them. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. So he asked them for money, and Peter and John stop, and they look at him. And then Peter says, weirdly, uh, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. He spoke to them, but he didn't give them his attention. Isn't that odd? I couldn't find an adequate explanation for that. So here's the Gospel of Kevin, the way I would write this screenplay if I am filming this, okay? Uh, there is a bunch of people walking in. He is trying to beg from the rich people. There is a rich guy standing there because he's in his fancy robe and he's doing his tithe, clinkety, clinkety, clink, and, and yeah, and he's watching him because he knows that he's got the cash. And there's this, there's this rabbi over here who's an attorney and he knows that he's rich and he, he has to give alms because he's a rabbi. So, so he's, he's watching him. And then we got these two fishermen over here. Well, he's walking by. You got anything? And then I'm back on the rich dude because I'm working the crowd where it needs to be. And so Peter and John look at him, but he's gone on from them because they don't look like they've got anything. And oh, wait, they don't. So he sized that up well. You know? And then Peter and John go, hey, look at us. And so he does, thinking, oh, you actually have something? Excuse me, I missed out on that. And he's looking for money. 
He's not looking to be healed. He's not following Jesus Christ. He's just a beggar in front of the temple where he's been for his whole life. And he's very well known to everybody in this whole city who may not know his name, but they know his face. And, and he, he's established, and he's, he's busy working it. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. Isn't that exactly what you want to hear as a beggar? <laughs> Didn't he just lose his attention again at that point? You know, well, move on, kid. I got work to do. And, and what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he didn't wait on him to get up because he didn't really come to him in faith. He just, he, he, taking him by his right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And this, this is a man their, who's never walked. Was this their first miracle after Pentecost? I don't know. I don't know that we can say that for sure. Maybe the verse recorded. That's what I mean. I was yeah. wondering if this was the first. Um, there was a whole portico full of licensed, crippled beggars sitting right there. Why didn't Peter go be healed and have all 15 of them? What about the guy that was sitting next to this guy? And this guy gets healed, stands up, and walks away. What about him? I get to move up. The line got shorter. I dropped him on the leave it behind him. I get more money now. You, you did it, man. Leave him on Oh my gosh, you did it. just walked up to any old random guy and said, you know, be healed, would it have worked? The Holy Spirit's purpose. Yes, and I think that's the point. Uh, Peter and uh, John aren't healing this, this, this cripple. It's, it's God healing this cripple. And we all know that God didn't have a work for this man to do that we just don't know about. Fair enough. That's fair. That's a and good God, answer. God's no respecter of person. No. And, and, and Peter and John were led by God to bring healing to this guy, not the other 15 literally standing behind him, sitting behind him. I think it's because the guy that was begging brought his attention away from monetary uh, goods to give the attention to what he had to say. I think it's because he took the time to consider that even though they don't look like they can give something, I should give them the time of day to listen to what they have to say. And then, you know, he benefited from that. Oh, wow. R respectfully, I'm not sure I agree with you. Like, like <coughs> mentally, he's so attracted to the, the, the things that are being given to him. He's not paying attention to the word that he's trying to, uh, that he, but they did have They're to trying to attention. offer him. They did have to get his attention. And they could have done it to someone else. But he wasn't. Have. This wasn't because he was believing in Jesus Christ. No, it was, I didn't say that. Uh, what he's, 
I just think it was a Holy Spirit appointed moment and appointed person. Yes. And, and the other thing that kind of goes against our charismatic belief system, this according to the way we a lot of charismatics believe you're supposed to have positive confession to get healed. This guy had negative confession. That kind of blows in the face of that. He didn't have faith. And he wasn't saved. He wasn't saved. Healing is about what God wants to do. See, I always was told you couldn't get your prayers answered if you weren't saved. But he still had to respond. He know, still had to respond. In the name of Jesus, right? But, but that, it, it's like, well, because, come on, I mean, your preacher's saying, unless you act out in faith towards your healing, you're not going to get He did not. They had to pick him up. In fact, and, our evangelist last week said exactly that. Well, here's the thing. And that yeah, may just cost me my class. It's so. the gospel. We're not charismatic. <laughs> well, it's semantics. You were there. That's a semantic thing. A Pentecostal charismatic belief system. Because you'd be completely well if saying, your faith was strong. Because I mean, because I had to deal with this as a pastor. Because here we would pray. One person would come up. Two people coming up. One would pray for healing and get it. Another one pray for healing and not get it. Right. We cause more confusion by some of our cliche Pentecostal slash charismatic sayings because it's about God. I've seen people with like little faith, what you can call it that. I don't really like it. Little faith and actually living like the world to get healed. And people who aren't going to get healed and they're living what we would assume is a righteous life not get healed. And let me add a nice layer of cynicism on top of all of that. Um, I've been in many services where several people come down front. One gets healed, one does not. One gets filled with the Spirit, one does not. And the evangelist afterwards, because he's been brought in to have this big service, and the one guy that we wanted to get filled didn't, well, that's not my fault. I'm the evangelist. And I did everything that I'm supposed to do. And the baptism is for everyone. Here's three verses to prove it. And therefore, something, something else is wrong because I, as an evangelist, uh, am doing everything correct. So he must be it must, he must, he must be in sin. He must not be saved. He must not be a Christian. He must, yeah, and so we're going to take this person who's seeking the Spirit and break him down even lower. Or he said a particular certain word in his prayer, which couldn't be negated. Uh, right, he didn't get the which, spell right. Which is witchcraft. Did not get the spell right, you're right. I, and, well, I, when I pastored one of my churches, I was visiting one of my elderly persons in the hospital who was, just had health issues together. I, I don't know her true heart, but from just her past, being her pastor, knowing her, this is a righteous, good Christian woman, grown up in the church, loved Jesus, loved all of heart. <coughs> she starts to cry. And I go, what's going on? She goes, well, past the pastor that preceded me, which if I ever find him again, I want to physically beat him up. Wow. Uh, wow. We need names. Give us names. Uh, <laughs> uh, pastor so-and-so told me the reason why I haven't gotten complete healing is I, Pastor, I've got hidden sin I don't know anything about. I, I pray to God to forgive me for what I mean. He doesn't love me because I got sick. Pastor said he's prayed the prayer of faith over me, but for some reason in my heart I got some sin I won't confess, and that's why I won't be healed. I'm going to die. I'm going to find that man. Oh, I, 
But I, I completely agree. I, I've heard, this is not the only time I've heard that exact story. We, we really go down the wrong road. It's from the pit of hell. Okay, a pit of hell, you say? Okay. I was told the same thing when I broke my leg all to pieces. Perhaps just a well. misunderstanding. I'll, go, I'll let it be a misunderstanding. No, it's... it's <laughs> it doesn't have to be from the pit of hell. It's false teaching. It is false teaching. Where does false teaching come from? Okay, from hell. <laughs> I've also I've also heard the other thing. I've also heard the other thing that you said when you when you're trying to get filled with the Holy Spirit. They say, well, you got something in your life that you're not letting God take care of. But that's yeah. why you can't. God puts something in Okay. The point. The the takeaway from this is that it is from the the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what healed this man. And Peter is immediately about to proclaim that it wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. Because we want when there when there's a faith healing, we want to look at the evangelist who brought the faith healing in. Wow. It's not the evangelist. Yeah. It's 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 God, you know, and, and and we have the evangelist that wants to build a career on it. And it's God. It's not the evangelist. We have whole Christian networks on Taylor. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I won't argue that at all. I was always told that if you pray for someone and they got healed, you you immediately let them know that it's not you, it's God that healed them and their faith that healed them. That's what I was always taught. Okay, I have, and this is an old, old issue that the Christian church has had since the beginning. And I have this ancient story. There was this old Christian writer and priest named Thomas Aquinas, who you are familiar with. Uh, is, he, is he in your book right there? Okay. And so Thomas Aquinas uh, was, was recognized as one of the early Christian founding fathers, and he went to see the head of the church, which was one of the early popes. I forget what the name of the pope uh, was. Pope Innocent II. Innocent II. And Innocent II, and, and it was much smaller in the Vatican at the time, and he came in as this big personage, and Innocent II was very happy to have him there. And Innocent II gave him a tour of the Vatican, such as it was at the time. And he said, you know, here is the new chapel that we built, and here, you know, we, we have this program, and he's showing him the ministries. And he walks him into the treasury, and he shows him all of the, 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 the ties that have come in from the church that they have collected. And he says, uh, we can no longer, as Christians say, silver and gold have we none. <laughs> Quoting this verse. And Thomas Aquinas says, we can also not say, take my hand and walk. Because we have moved our faith from God to money and to our things. And we are putting our faith in our own ministry and not in God. It's not about how much cash is in the treasury. And as a guy who spent ages studying accounting, it's hard for me to say that out loud. Well, there's a difference between, hey, we've got to pay the bills and getting rich. Yeah, agreed. And I think we need to manage as stewards God's wealth, but it's not about the wealth. It's about what we're, what, what he's doing. It's not even what we're doing. It's what he's doing. And we need to get on his train and not expect him to jump on ours. Can I say this? And, and maybe I'm wrong. also going against the evangelist this week. I have so many issues. Okay, go ahead. Well, go ahead. no, if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm wrong. I, I, I'll apologize. But 
aren't a lot of these big Assembly of God churches now that have gotten so humongous and made the pastors so rich, uh, they're not really for God anymore. They're more for the riches that they're getting from all the people that are the thousands and thousands of people that they've got coming in their church, it seems like. Am I wrong in that? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say they're against God. No, no, I didn't mean against God, but I said they're there more now for the money than... I think they get confused in their theology of what is success in a ministry. You know, uh, becomes more like a business than a business. A corporation. They see blessings as tangible money. Thank you, Kenny, because American theology, if you're being blessed by God, it will show up in your money and your prestige and your power. Well, those are the important things in life. Society sure, culture. sure. We as Americans view if you make money, if you have political power, if you have quote unquote success, then God is blessing you. If you're poor, you must be doing something wrong, which negates all the churches across the world and throughout history who grew even through poverty. And and it's what happens, I think some start off with the right purpose, but it's easy to be distracted by this stuff, you know, to where the one church that bragged in their newsletter, a big article on their $25 million sanctuary, and then had a little article, we gave $5,000 to the Sedan after the earthquake. That was nice of them. That was nice. Hey, we yeah. gave $5,000. Now we got lasers, and we got lights, and we got flashy lights, and we got fancy, you know, stuff like that. Now, I'm, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not against having a nice sanctuary. An elaborate sanctuary? I mean, I want air conditioning. Let me ask you this. A church should never get that big. To me, if a church starts getting that big, it needs to split that church up and make smaller churches because a lot of those people are coming from long ways that you could actually take and plant smaller churches and keep that church at a reasonable... I leave that between that pastor and God. I mean, what do you, what do you think? That's the way I would like they to think about it. God's law before I follow well, okay, I'm not in that position to do it. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, I can't say. Now, if they're, getting, if they're more about money than ministry, I can, I can worship That's one thing. But if, if God blesses the church to grow, I don't necessarily want to say they're doing it wrong. Because I don't know. That's me judging something I don't know. I, I mean, there are some big churches I think that are doing a great job. Right? Uh, what you're seeing now, a lot of your bigger churches go into warehouses. They're just remodeling the warehouse and meeting a lot of people at very inexpensive, very reasonable economically. And they're big. I mean, they, I, I don't want to get to the point where I'm judging this ministry's right, this ministry's wrong, just based on that. Now, if they say something, Kunle, what did I say? Uh, he wants money. I do know this is true. We, stat, we started a church in a storefront in downtown Garland, and we had the big Methodist, the big Christian, and the big Baptist church all the way around us. Well, guess who those big churches sent the people to that needed help when they needed help? You! They, they sent them to our little storefront when they had probably all kinds of money because they're you know, huge churches. But that's okay, but like our pastor at that time said, we're going to take care of the needs because that's what we're here for. But it was just ironic that they sent them to us for their needs 
be met because they didn't want to fool with them or do whatever, and they, there's no telling how much money they had. Do you know what I mean? And we were barely making our bills every month, you know? My thing is, the Pastor, I just, I deal with stay in my lane, and I let God, unless someone says something just radically anti-biblical, I stay in my lane and let it between that church and God. No, it, it is, and that's kind of what and, our pastor said. And I, it's, it's, there, there's issues with the church, but it is the church we're dealing with. I mean, you live in a society that people like going to a nice church. And on that note, I am signing off online. Next week, we are going to pick it up at verse 11. Uh, goodbye.